this morning, I, I want to talk about relational connection versus religious ceremony. The two RCs, religious ceremony, rituals, practices, or relational connection. Which one do we live our lives from? Do we have a mixture of both? Do we lean towards one more than the other? Because sometimes relational ceremony or rituals can mask relational connection. We can come here, we can sing, we can listen, we can pray, but it can literally just be religious ceremony. It can be ritual, it can be practices. Man loves loves these things, don't we? We, we, we love the, the, the rituals, we love our traditions, and, and there's nothing wrong with traditions, but in they, get in, they get in the way of relationship, then there is. And Jesus said, he said, you guys, you know, you, you love your traditions more than you love the commandments, and traditions don't bring life, the life that Christ wants to bring. It's relational connection that brings us that life, isn't it? And so I want us to look at that this morning, because you know, as we enter into this month of December, and at the end of December, you know, we, we traditionally celebrate the 25th as Christmas Day, and, you know, biblically, it, we know that he wasn't born on that day, but, but that's not the point. What was the point of his birth? Was it, was it to have the traditions that go with that? Was it to, to celebrate the things that we do, but miss the point of his birth? Because you can easily do that. The world does that, doesn't it? It gets involved in all other things, but the very reason for the season. But we can be like that too. We can, we can actually elevate that day higher than every other day. You know, we can make it more about the things that it's not than the things that it is. And once again, I just want to stress, there's nothing wrong with presence. There's nothing wrong with those things. But is that the point? No, it's not. And so even Christmas Day can become a religious tradition, religious practice, religious stuff. And actually, the reason Christ, the connection, it's missed. And so as we go into this month, I want us, as a church, not just the rock, but as a church, I want you to be thinking about these things. I want you to ask yourself today, is my life more about religious ceremony and rituals and practices, or is it more about a relationship? Is it more about a connection with God? Two questions. Has and is the gospel we are receiving, so the one we have received and the one we're receiving, because it's an ongoing process, isn't it? Leading us into a greater relational connection or religious ceremony, ritual practices. Second question, are our lives the evidence of the relational connection or religious ceremonies and practices? So evidence is what a person is convicted on in a court of law, isn't it? That person may get up and spout a whole lot of stuff, but the evidence says something else. So that's a powerful question. Are our lives the evidence of a relationship with Christ or more of religious ceremonies and practices? Because God wants us in the first one. He sent his son that you and I would know that to an extreme measure. That's the good news. That is the great news that God sent his son. What for? To redeem the world, the entire world, 
back into right relationship, not religious ceremony or rituals. But man loves religious ceremony. He loves the things and gets caught up in the stuff that are lifeless. I mean, I went to a church in Australia and man, they say stuff and handshakes and do stuff. I'm like, what's that? And one person even did it to Danielle and was looking the other way. So it was like, oh, thank you, bless you, while they're looking over here, shaking. It's like, it's just a religious practice. Now, if it's done with a heart and if it's done with connection, it's going, maybe it's good. But it wasn't. It was just done, oh, tick a box here, here, this is what we do. Sit down, sit down, sit down, look that way, sing some songs, go and go home. Life contained is the same. No, he didn't die for that, did he? If he died for that, then what's the point? Now, Jesus gave his life. God sent his only son for relational connection. How about we go to Psalms 127? I'm just going to read this real quick. Then we're going to get on to Acts. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. We have to be careful that we don't take the things that God has given us and turn them into religious practices. We can make anything a religious practice, can't we? So often we can think it's, oh, it's, the, it's those people, you know, it's, it's, it's that church. When it can just be us because the church is man. And so we have to be very careful the things that God has given us, like prayer, like his word, like music, one another, himself, just isn't becoming a religious practice. And we read this in Psalm 127. So God warns us. He says, unless, un, sorry, un, unless, bleh, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless God is doing this building work through his power, that everyone who's trying to build it is building in vain. And the word vain literally means emptiness, false. So if God isn't changing us and we're trying to change us, we're caught up in religious practice. It's false. It's a false way. We see this in the church. Come and let's build the church together. I can't build anything. And we've been looking at this uprising as a church to to realize that actually, no, I align myself to be built. And I walk with my brothers and sisters to be built, but I cannot build myself and I cannot build another. I don't have the power to do that because it's upon the power of God that the church is built, correct? So I align my life to walk with a brother and a sister with a church to be built. Jesus said, I build my church through the revelation of myself. Isn't that a beautiful thing to know that you can't do it? So if you are doing it, can I just encourage you to stop? Because you're heading down a false way. And it will only end up in frustration, disillusionment, and you might walk away. Because you wonder, why is this not producing life? It's because you're in a religious practice. It's a ritual that you've either learned yourself or been taught. And God warns us by saying this. He says, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Go to bed. 
what he's saying. If it's done out of religious practice, you might as well get some sleep because it's a false way. It's in vain. It's all empty. You don't think it is. You think you're doing the right thing. God's saying, that's a false way. That's a false work. And that work will be burnt up at the judgment seat. So he warns us again. Then he goes on. He says this. It is vain, there's that word again, for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, false suffering for Christ. Oh, I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and no one understands. All false. It's false. It's done in vain. It's done out of the flesh. It's done out of religious practice, religious ritual. So once again, he's warning us. He uses the word vain three times to make a point, doesn't he? Whenever God repeats himself, he's trying to get a point through to his people. Why? Because he died for relational connection. For he loves us. He wants us to love him back. What did David say? He says, you don't want sacrifices. You don't want offerings before you have a broken and contrite heart. Otherwise, I run around doing, 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 but all that doing, all that work is pointless. Do you want to get to the end of your life and discover that everything you did was pointless? No. Do you think God wants you to get to the end of your life and discover it was pointless? Even though he loves us and is covering us? No. Why? Because he died for relational connection. He died that we would experience life and an abundant life now and in the future. Not in the future now and the future. So he sends us these types of scriptures. He sends us men and women that got it, that understood it, that wrote it down so we wouldn't waste time. Then it says, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Isn't that cool? Go and have a little night down here. Ah, just lie down here. Oh. Late night last night, we were out having a barbecue. And I'm receiving while I sleep. You had God speak to you while you're asleep? It's amazing, eh? And you can not physically rest, but rest. S O U L. Soul rest. Jesus said, I want to give you rest for your, what's your soul? It's your mind, your will, and your emotion. I want to give you rest for that. Why? Because you've come into a relational connection that creates a rest. Not stress. Rest. And you live your life every day now from this new wine because the wine's been poured into the new wine skin because you realized something and you shifted and you moved from maybe religious ritual and practice to relational connection. You turned, the Bible calls it repentance. You turned from that and you moved to that because you realized that was lifeless and that was causing nothing. And so you then turned, but that means letting go of that. But the son was sent for this. I find it fascinating. And we see other scriptures where the man threw out seed. And he went and had to lie down. Why? Because the power is in the seed. 
isn't it? Not in the man that's throwing it. So it's in the seed. So as he scatters the seed, he knows that if a fertile heart is found and the seed hits it, that'll cause the life. But it's not his job to try and create and cultivate the ground. It's God's. So he throws out the seed, and sometimes the seed's going to do some cultivating. Sometimes the seed's going to do some plowing. And sometimes the seed just bounces off the surface, and a bird comes and snatches it. Why? Because it's more about religious practice and religious ritual than it is about a relational connection, which has a softness of heart. So the one who throws knows they don't build the church. The one that throws knows that he's not up to him or her to do that work. It's up to the Father. So then they can have a rest because it's not on that person. The outcome is God's. We need to capture this as individuals and as a church. We need to capture the revelation that the outcome is not on us. Man, that's freeing, isn't it, Chris? It's not on me to change you. It's not on me to get you going. It's on me to lead and to model something that you might see that you may want. It's on me to encourage you, to pray for you, but it's not on me to change you because I can't change you. What a relief that is for both of us. Now I'm not driving you. Now I'm not actually going, why isn't he changing? Why isn't this behavior changing? How long is it going to take for you to change? Because I might check out of here if you're not changing about a week. And so you're free from all that behavior and you can just rest. Why? Because you're in relational connection with the Father, which then brings you into relational connection with Chris, where it's about love, not lust. It's about loving him as he is, not trying to change him love. Well, I'll love him if he changes. No, I'll love him whether he changes or not, because I love him. Because love hopes all things, doesn't it? And believes all things and endures all things and is patient and holds no wrongs. Isn't that what it says? And it's gentle and kind? Well, that only comes if you're relational connection, not religious practice or ceremony. And Jesus knew that. He says, he came. So let's go to Acts. And this is so cool. Father, help me. Help me to preach what I know is in me. Ooh, this is powerful, man. Peter and John. Acts 4.13. Now, as they, these are these Pharisees, Jews, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. And they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Man, there's so much in one verse. And we're going to rip that. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a notable, noteworthy sorry, miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people... Let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, 
we be, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen or heard. What have we seen and heard because of our relational connection to Christ that we just can't shut up about? So these other people observed, didn't they? Because of their relational connection, these other people observed something about them. Do people observe something about us because of our relational connection to God? Do they go, you're different than everyone else I know? What makes you different? See, these men, the Bible says, they were uneducated. They were untrained. That qualifies us, doesn't it? You don't have to be a scholar. Gee, I can rest in that. I don't have to have letters behind my name. Man, I can rest in that. You see, they weren't brought up in the system. They weren't brought up in the religious system that these other people were. And they recognized that. They said, where did these guys come from? They didn't go to school with us. They didn't get our qualifications. They are untrained, uneducated, but there's a confidence that they observed. It actually scared them. And they said, we've got to shut this down. See, what religious practice does, it wants to shut down the power of God because it doesn't understand it. It actually makes it feel a bit afraid. Why? Because it starts to challenge the heart. It starts to challenge where I might be at through someone else's relationship, which is supposed to encourage me and bring me confidence, actually starts to make me feel small. Because I might go, but I'm not living like that. And the person's going, that's okay, because Jesus died to bring you into that, not to have you shrink back from that. So don't let your flesh take over and look at the confidence in someone else and then try and break it down because you're in fear. We go, oh, that's arrogance. No, it's confidence. You can be confident in Christ. Paul said, I'm confident of the day he's returning. I know I'm getting a reward. Are you that confident? You're to know and be that confident in Christ. Why? Because Paul knew the life he lived was in an alignment to the Father. When you live in alignment because of the confidence of Christ, why? Because you've been with Christ and you're continuing to be with Christ. You can say with all confidence and boldness and humility... I'm waiting, man. There's a reward waiting for me, and I've lived the life. Come on. Why do you think he wanted to go? Do you think if you weren't in this position, you'd want more time, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want more time to get more of this? But he's wanting to go because he's got a confidence. But he actually says this. He says, it's actually better for me if I stay. So the first thing Paul says we actually think he says it's all for the other people. He doesn't. Go read it. It says it's better if I stay for my own more transformation. Then he says, and it's, but it's better for you if I stay. Powerful, isn't it? So he's confident of the return and confident of coming into more. So his confidence, these men's confidence, these other people observed because of their relational connection to the Christ, to Jesus, which is an ongoing thing, isn't it? In my own life, I've been questioned, what's that guy? 
being in that position when he hasn't been to Bible college. I'm not knocking Bible colleges. The system, the religious practice, what's, how does he get there if he hasn't been to there? Because he's been there. Have you? He's been with a person, not a system. He met a person, not a principle. He met the work of the cross, not just the words of the cross. And the person who sets the church free. Isn't it? The truth that sets you free is not biblical principles. It's a person called Jesus Christ. Relational connection. But see, the religious system, religious practices, make it about words, not the word. We want to try and understand words in our head rather than know the word of God, the person, who then brings the words to life. If that's not happening, the words are just, they're still the word of God. The words are logos, they're still right, but they're not got light on them. So the light must shine on the words to create the word. And now all of a sudden there's a conviction and I'm moving, I've gone away from religious practices Staying up all night, praying, getting up early, praying, staying up all night, reading, staying, getting up all morning, early morning, reading, and nothing's happening, to actually sleeping. And then sleeping, getting up early and eating and getting life, getting up late, eating in the middle of the day. It's not the fact that we're getting up early and late that's the issue, it's the heart. So don't think, oh, yeah, that gives me an excuse now not to get up early and pray. That's what we do, don't we? Oh, he said that. No. No, no. I want to both both parts of the picture, the whole purpose. Jesus got up early in the morning. Didn't he? He was the last one to leave the party. So he was up there late too. Why? Because he had relational connection, which is the power which enables you to get up early, get up late, live throughout the day, because it's not operating in your strength. Because you're not just doing religious practice, there's a relational connection. You're coming into life through prayer. You're coming into life through eating the Word. You're coming into life through praise. You're coming into life on a Sunday. We don't just turn up here for religious practice and ritual because that's all you did and all you've done since you were three. We gather here to praise, to ask the seek to knock, to be fed, to encourage one another that we would be changed and transformed. That's why I come. I come here to meet my Father. I come here to meet you. I come here to hear my Father, and I come to receive from my Father and one another that I can leave changed. Is that why you come? I hope so. Otherwise, we're just going through religious practice and rituals, and we'll be half asleep. I've got to do the thing. How long is it going to be? Stay in bed. Enjoy the sleep, man. And enjoy it guilt-free. See, religious practice and rituals make you feel guilty. Jesus didn't come to bring you guilt. He came to bring you no condemnation. He came to set us free, not bring us into guilt, because we're not doing the things 
but through life and through love, we come into life, which then empowers. And you know what? I want to eat my word. I want to pray. I desire to be part of the body. I desire to lay my life down. Not because it's a practice, because it's part of being with a person. And when you get the person, you say, my life is no longer my own. I love you. I'm going to lay my life down for you and my brothers and sisters in Christ. And these men got this because why? Not because they were trained in the system, not because they went to school, not because they did this and did that, because they were with Jesus. So what's the gap between us and him this morning? And whatever it is, turn and take a step towards him. How about we go to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. While you're going there, have a listen to these words from Corey Ten Boom, who said this, We may never know that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. We may never know that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. Let's get to that position first. Let's get to the position that we know that he is the source of our life. He's not an add-on. He's not a handbag. He's not an accessory. He wants to be the source The Bible says he's the alpha, he's the omega. He's the beginning, he's the end. He's everything in between. The Bible says he is love. So let's move towards that position where we know that with confidence because we receive that before we discover, we try all the other options only to ever realize 50 years have gone by and the great if comes out of our mouth. We have an opportunity today. Every day is an opportunity, isn't it? Every day that you've been given breath is an opportunity for relational connection. And Paul knew this, and he said this in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. The whole context is the temporal and the eternal. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls me. But he actually says us. So it's not just him. There's more people that Paul knows that the love of God is controlling them. What does that mean to be controlled by love? That must mean that the life source that's coming out of you is love. That every decision that you make is filtered through the lens of love. Every response is filtered through the lens of love. The generosity of your heart and time and and your life and your finances is, is captivated by and controlled by love. So your whole life is given over to love. And so then your choices, your priorities, your decisions, what you do, what you don't do, is controlled in a good way by love. But not any love, not your human love, the love of Christ. Why? Because your relational connection is strong. Because only then can you live from this place. Paul's going to make this incredible statement, which is the way we're supposed to be living. Because he says, imitate me as I imitate the Christ. He's a 
typology for the church. He's a model of what a son looks like, and he's a model of what the body is to look like. So he says these words, for the love of Christ controls us. So there are these people that he knows. Having concluded this, that one died for all. Who's that? Jesus. Therefore, all died. (laughs) You're dead. Are you dead? Has relational connection killed you yet? (laughs) He's loved me into submission. It was his love. He loved me to death. He loved me into death. It was the love that broke this stubborn heart. It wasn't religious practice. It wasn't religious beliefs. It was love. It was Christ that broke the hard heart of Greg Simnor. He loved me to death. He says, Greg, I promise to love you. You surrender to me. Isn't that what he says? And doesn't he then give us that in the typology of a husband and a wife? To paint the picture of how marriages are supposed to flow. It's a beautiful streamline, and it streamlines in into the church. So as the whole church learns to surrender, the Father loves. And then he says, as you're into that, then you're going to surrender to one another as you love one another, because love covers a multitude of mess-ups. Church is pretty messed up. Need a lot of love to cover us while we're growing up, yeah? Maturing. Aren't you great that love covers so we can grow up and mature? Man, you better believe we need a mature church on the earth today. For what's coming on the earth, we need a mature church. Why? Because we need to be the hope of the world. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We need to be hope. We need to be the ones that actually have something to offer when Babylon is collapsing because it's collapsing at 100 miles an hour. Did you think you would live in in a world where there are seven genders? No longer male or female. You can choose well, I don't know. On a Monday, I might be a woman. On a Tuesday, I might be a man. I'm still trying to figure that all out. On the news the other week, there was a couple in America who had a little boy. He had a penis. He was a boy. And they went, well, we don't know yet. We're going to wait for him to decide whether he's a boy or girl. Did you ever think you would live in a world when it would be like this? Did you ever think that a man could marry a man? Did you ever think on your TV you could see full nudity at 9.30 on a Friday night? Did you think that? Or are we asleep to what's happening around the world? Are you aware of what's going on in Europe right now? Are you aware of what's happening in the Middle East? Because if we're not, see, we're asleep. And God wants to awaken a mature church through relational connection. Why? Because there's a purpose and a mission for the church in the end times. And it's not doom or gloom. It's hope for us. Because he's returning for us. He's returning for a bride. End times is about the return of the king. It's not about all the doom and gloom. But we're going to have to go through doom and gloom. So we need to be mature and be able to know what's coming. Why? So not only it takes us out, but we can be a model of Christ. Hope. Not just wanting to check out and leave the world behind. That's lust. That's not love. Well, I don't care. I'm getting out of here. Sorry. That's lust. Love says, I'm here. And he says this. He says, and he died for all. Why? So that they, the church, who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 
Jesus gave his life for a purpose. And that purpose is that he would reconcile all of man unto himself. That all of mankind would come into, we know not all of mankind will, but he reconciled, that's his heart, is mankind would come into this life so they would no longer live, but walk with him. The Spirit of God now, because Jesus is with the Father, would walk with the Spirit. We sung it, come Holy Spirit, and see his kingdom established in the hearts and minds of the church first, then through the church. So my life is no longer mine. Have you made that commitment? Have you put that into the ground? That your life is not yours. You may not have known when you said, Father, come into my life, what you were actually saying. You may not have known when you prayed the prayer, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What you just said was, Lord, come in and mess up my life. Because I want your kingdom in here. That's what you pray. That's what we pray. See, we just think it's this nice little prayer that you recite off because we might be in religious practice. But when you're in a relational connection, he opens your eyes to see what you're praying. Then you might go, I don't want to pray that. (laughs) That's why he says, be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you say. Because I'm hearing. He's listening, hearing all the time. So what you're saying is, come and mess up my life because I'm praying your kingdom, which is in heaven, is going to come upon the earth, which is I'm on the earth, which is going to come into me because Jesus said the kingdom of God is where? In you. So you're praying his kingdom, his lordship is going to reign in your life, which means you no longer live. You signed up for death. Greg Simnor died 1997, 10 a.m. at Rebel Sport when he committed his life to Christ. I've been a dead man walking ever since. And God is continuing to ask me to surrender because you're dead and you're dying, aren't you? So Paul's saying this. He says, this love that I've received through relational connection has caused me to let go and to grab hold of this new life, this new created life in Christ, this brand new life. And my life is no longer my own, but I lay my life down and I pick up my new life to be a light for you in a dark world. Let's go to Philippians 3, and I'm going to finish on this. Philippians 3, 1 to 20. I think if there's one of the most powerful statements Paul makes, it's here. The NASB says the goal of life. So think about that. When I read this, the goal of life. This was the man's goal. Finally, my brethren, in verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is safeguard for you. He's a smart man. He's going over things because he sees and goes, we're not here yet. We're in a bit of life, but we're not here yet. We're not here yet. There's more to come into. So I'm going to remind you again. I'm going to remind you again of why we're here, what the purpose is, because it's so easy, isn't it, to get distracted? In this world, it's so easy to get off course, isn't it? You know, hear that voice. Oh, that sounds interesting. What's that? And there are multiple voices trying to grab the church's attention to stop the church becoming who the church is called to be. How well do you hear his voice? So then he says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. 
For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in my ability to change things. No confidence in my ability to make things right. No confidence in me to sort it out. I let go. I got a word the other day, just fall into my arms. Fall. Fall. Don't try and, ah, hang on. Fall. And I'll catch you. No confidence in the flesh. Man, that's a big statement and a half. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. I'm the man. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Here we go. But here's the new man. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss. Have we arrived there yet? Because of our relational connection. All things to be lost in view of what? The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. You see, it's not a loss for anything. It's a loss compared to. See, when we start seeing Christ, when we start getting revelation of Christ, it's like, oh my goodness, that's just pathetic in alignment to that. But if you don't have sight, you go, this is good. It's the sight of Jesus that brings the alignment. You understand? It's as your eyes get open, it's in a comparison, you have something to compare your, your life with. So he goes, why am I hanging on to my life compared to that life? It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. It's like discovering French cuisine over baked beans. It's like you don't go back and eat baked beans. You go, I want French cuisine. Why am I eating baked beans? They make funny smells when French cuisine doesn't. But unless you know this French cuisine, you think baked beans are awesome. And this is what he's saying. Man, I thought I was this, I thought I was that, I'm a this and I'm a that, I'm a this. But now that I've had revelation of Christ, I consider that all loss. Because I'm no longer religious practice, I'm no longer going through motions. I've connected with a person through revelation. So he considers him a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Man, the man knows Christ, but he wants to gain more of Christ. This man was hungry. Set a fire down in my soul. I think he wrote it. He was so hungry, he'll take yours if you're not. He's hungry and may be found in him. Found in Christ. Are we found in Christ? Are we found in this relational connection? If people were to look at your life over a period of three months, would they see you found in Christ? Would they see you spending time with Christ? Or would they see you in religious practice, ritual, and living for you? See, as our lives are controlled by love, there's a turning. Only God can do this. It's only through revelation. So God says and asks, do you want more? 
And that's ultimately what gets tested is our heart as to whether we want more or not, or whether we're happy with what we've got. He's so loving. He, he goes, okay, if you're happy with what you've got, that's cool. And I'll just wait until I see you ask for more. And then he sees someone asking for more on the other side of the world, so he's drawn to that. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. So this is what love is. Love is covering. It's so beautiful that he's so patient and waiting. And a thousand days is like a day. He's not, he's not stupid. He's waiting. He's patient. He's holding back coming, which is the context of that passage. So we can become the church we're called to be through relational connection. So we can be found in Christ, like Paul is saying, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, through my ability to see Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, which causes this new life, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you want to have fellowship with the sufferings? If you get relational connection, you'll have fellowship with the sufferings. If you're in religious ceremony and ritual, you won't. You won't go anywhere near it. In fact, they won't even find you. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Are you laying hold of all that Christ has laid hold of you for? That's what he's saying. I'm laying hold of the things that Christ laid hold of me for, the relational connection. So the question is, are you, are we, are we laying hold of what he laid hold of us for? Or are we oblivious to it, not knowing what on earth it is that we are laid hold of for? See, When you don't know what you don't know, you don't ask for what you don't know. Do you? It's common sense, eh? You don't know it exists, so you're not asking for something that you don't know. But it's real. So when you hear about something that you don't know, but you hear it, are you asking for it? Does that make sense? That's what the woman at the well is all about. Hey, I've got some water. you got your water. Do you want to know other water? And she said, tell me about that water. You see, Jesus knew the condition of the woman's heart, didn't he? He could see her heart. He knew what the true issues of her heart were. What were they? What were the true issues of that woman's heart? Why she didn't have water? What was she looking for? She was looking for love. And how was she looking for love? Through what? Through relationship. Relationships with who? Physical men. So she's looking, Jesus looks into her heart and knows that she's looking for, a, for the fulfillment from a man. Don't be like that, ladies. And men, don't be like that in your life. It needs to be him. So Jesus sees her need, her real need. He says, you've had five husbands, doesn't he? And he calls the other one the sixth, and she's, oh, I'm, I'm not married. He goes, yeah, I know that. He's nice. Yeah, I know, I know. I know what you're looking for. You're looking in the wrong place. 
for what you need. So she had five husbands. She's got a guy who's six. Jesus turns up. Do you know what the number seven represents biblically? Completion, perfection. Oh, do you want to marry me? How about you come marry me? How about you come and find fulfillment in me? How about you get relational connection with me, not either in religious practice or other people? Because I am the living water that brings the eternal life to your soul, lady. Not man, not this physical water, me. I've come to marry the church. Do you want to be part of it? What was the rich young ruler's deal? Was it really his wealth? Or was it his heart? It was his heart. Jesus looked and saw his heart and said, Son, you're still missing something. At the core of your heart is who? You. See, we paint the picture it was as rich as his money. That No, it wasn't. The only reason a human being has idols in their life is because they're still the God of their life. Now, when you're the God of your life, you have idols that you can't let go of. So when Jesus comes and addresses the true heart issues, because it's all about a heart issue, relational connection is a heart issue. Religious practice is just a fleshly thing you work out. But see, when he comes for true relationship, he's going to knock on the door of your, and he's going to ask questions about your heart that some of us don't want to answer We just want to stay in religious practice. But he loves you that much that he wants to go and says, let me into your heart. I knock on the door and the door is your heart. But there's things in your heart that need to come out of your heart. So let me in so you can find this relational connection in life, not just continue to go through religious practice, ticking a box going, I'm okay, when life is falling apart. Or I'm just not in the life I was called for. That's what's happening in all of that stuff. You see, we know how to answer correctly. We struggle to live it. The ruler came, the teacher came, and he said, what is the greatest commandment? To which the teacher answered, and Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom. He said, you've answered intelligently, but you're not far from the kingdom. Where's the kingdom? So you know how to answer from your head, and you know how to give the right answer, religious practice, but you're not far from the reality I came to bring you into. Do you want to live out of your head or live from a revelation of heart which then renews your mind? I want to be in that. And in those three stories, that's the whole issue is about the heart. And this is what Paul has discovered. And he goes on, he says, I want to be taken for what you took me for, brethren. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. If you've got a different attitude, God's going to reveal it. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained the standard that we have attained in God, but I'm still pressing on. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And he has given it all out here. He's telling the church and telling us the way, clearly describing it. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. 
If you resist the cross, you can be an enemy of the cross. If your flesh is resisting crucifixion, you can be an enemy of the cross. Don't think this is non-Christians, just think of it. If you're not letting God do a work in your life, you're an enemy of the work. He still loves you, but you're anti-Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to go, you're not going to die. We are go- I am going to die. You're not going to die. That's an anti. You're getting in the way. Whose God is their, their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven. So I hope today that through what you're hearing, there's some sort of encouragement to go, well, I want, I want relational connection more than I may have religious practice. I want to seek you more because there is more. If Paul says there's more, there's more. And I'm not yet in Paul's life, but I want to aspire to become like his transformation. For that's the eternal purpose, to become like the Christ, conformed into the image, Romans 8, 28 to 30. But it'll only come through uh, relational connection. It won't come through ticking boxes. It won't come through praying prayers that are aimless. It won't come through reading the word just for the sake of reading the word. It won't come from being here, from just being here. It comes through a connection to the source. My vacuum cleaner doesn't work if I don't plug it into the source. I can unplug the lead. I can dance around the room like I do, but there's no power. So I look like I'm vacuuming. The neighbors think I'm vacuuming. But there's rubbish on the floor, and it's not doing what it's doing. No different to us. So, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you died, rose again for relational connection. I thank you that you've earmarked this day called today, that we would gather together before we even knew it, you knew it, God, and you purposed it to hear this message, which is on your heart, for us to grow and for us to be and mature together as the body of Christ, Lord, not separated, not running in 50 million different lanes, but in one lane under one roof called heaven on this earth. So, Father, continue to build us. Continue to encourage us. Father, we ask you to bless the church and the transformation of her life, Father. And God, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the full gospel that you have for us, who you are and your purpose and your plan. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.